Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 301, Crew 7. I'm Gary Jordan. I'll be your host today. On this podcast, we bring in the experts, scientists, engineers, and astronauts, and cosmonauts, all to let you know what's going on in the world of human spaceflight and more. NASA's commercial crew program continues, launching a crew of four for the first time from four different space agencies, NASA ESA, or the European Space Agency, JAXA, or the Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency, and Roscosmos, the Russian State Space Corporation, on a U.S. commercial spacecraft on the seventh crew rotation mission to the International Space Station. Each of these four crew members are incredible, high-achieving individuals, and I was fortunate enough to spend a few minutes with each of them before their launch. On this episode, we'll hear from each of the crew, Commander Jasmine McBelly of NASA, Pilot Andreas Mogensen of ESA, and Mission Specialist Satoshi Furukawa of JAXA, and Konstantin Borisov of Roscosmos, and hear them reflect on their lives, training, and anticipation of their upcoming long-duration mission in space. So let's get right into it. Enjoy. First up is NASA astronaut Jasmine McBelly, commander of Crew 7. McBelly is responsible for all phases of flight from launch to reentry. Once on board station, she'll serve as an Expedition 69 and 70 flight engineer. Though she was born in Germany, she considers Baldwin, New York home. The now Lieutenant Colonel of the U.S. Marine Corps received a Bachelor's of Aerospace Engineering from MIT and a Master's in Aerospace Engineering from the Naval Postgraduate School. Prior to joining NASA as an astronaut candidate in 2017, she was a helicopter pilot, flying a number of operational missions as well as a test pilot. She accumulated more than 150 combat missions and 2,000 hours of flight time in more than 25 different aircraft. Crew 7 will be her first spaceflight. A fully capable leader. Here's a little more about Jasmine McBelly. Jasmine McBelly, thank you so much for coming on Houston Women Podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me. How you feeling? This is your first space flight. You're going to space. What are what are you feeling right now? Uh, I'm incredibly excited. Obviously, it's one of those things where you know you. I've been training at this point for six years as an astronaut, and now we're just a couple months prior to launch, and it. It's one of those things that doesn't feel real, and I keep just trying to tell myself, okay, just focus on what you have to do that day. Focus on your training. Don't get too overwhelmed with the fact that you're actually going to launch to space. See, the thing is, you've been training for six years, but the thought of your your dream of being in space goes back to your childhood. This is something you've always wanted. Yes. I've wanted to become an astronaut since elementary school. Uh, I did a book report on Valentina Tereshkova. I don't remember why I chose Valentina Tereshkova for my book report, so I wonder if it started even before then. Hmm. Um, But I know definitely from that point on, uh, this was something I wanted to do. Did you have a lot of encouragement throughout your childhood of, of that, that kind of supported that idea, right? Because I think, you know, someone says they want, a kid says they want to be an astronaut. You just say, okay, right, okay. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, you could be a superhero too. Yeah. But like, you must have had a lot of encouragement to actually help you to realize this was a real actual possibility. I did. I I had a lot of support from both uh, my family, my immediate family, and also the the teachers and mentors I grew up with. You know, I went to school from kindergarten through high school in, in Baldwin, the Baldwin School District in Long Island. And I was really lucky. It's something I didn't realize till afterwards when I traveled all over the country. But the teachers I had even from such a young age in elementary school, you know, two of them are coming to my launch. So I think that says something about how big a role they've played in my life and how important they were in making me believe I could do this. That's awesome. Now, I mean, yeah, so so you had, even at elementary school, you had people who were encouraging you to pursue this dream. And there's, you know, we've talked to a lot of astronauts here, and there's a lot of different ways that you could pursue to become an astronaut, but you chose aerospace engineering. Why? I was always uh, I was always drawn to math and science, especially physics. And I remember from a young age, 
Um, we would do different things at school, learning about the stars and the constellations. They would bring this dome into the gym and show us the different constellations in the night sky. And, you know, I grew up in New York. So when you looked up at the sky, you actually couldn't see that many stars. <laughs> Light pollution, right? right? Yeah, yeah. And so I, I remember even the first time I, I looked at the sky on NVGs, on night vision goggles, and being like, wow, they're really out there. These stars that they told us about are really out there. But I just had this fascination fa- fascination with space at a young age. Mm. And also uh, engineering just appealed to me from the design aspect uh, and um bringing in that math and science that I loved. And I know you had role models because, you you know, you had this theme of astronaut throughout your life and you thought, okay, what, what does it take to become an astronaut? And so you started looking at uh, the Marines, the military, as a possible path to get there. And so, so why'd you end up choosing that and flying helicopters? The military in general was something I was drawn to at such a young age. I loved being a part of teams. I played team sports from uh, a very young age. And, you know, the military is very big on that camaraderie and your brothers and sisters in arms. The um, adventure aspect of it, of exploring, you know, getting to see different parts of the world was something that really uh, appealed to me. And then service. You know, my parents... um, they left their country and and we ended up here in the States. And the only reason I'm able to be an astronaut is the opportunities that were afforded to me being in this country. And that I have such an appreciation um, for that. And so, you know, paying something back to this country uh, was something that was important to me. And so for those reasons, I was drawn to the military. And the Marine Corps is actually something that came a little later when I was older mm-hmm. in late high school and, and college, I learned about the Marine Corps. And I love the the Marine Corps takes kind of ev- every aspect of it. We have this air ground task force that su- supports itself and the expeditionary mindset of going in and living and working in these hard environments is really integral to being a Marine. Very interesting. You talked about your parents. Your parents emigrated Iran, right? And they ended up in Germany. Germany is where you were born. Yes. Then moved to the States. What values, what Iranian values did your parents take with you through all of these things that kind of instilled into you, that kind of helped you to get you where you are? Both my my parents and my brother, my older brother, I think were very uh, influential in shaping my values and my character. Mm. My parents, they led very... um, good lives and had their families around them in Iran. And they left all that. But I saw them working hard every single day. Hmm. But not just working hard. Even while they were struggling themselves, I saw them reach out to help others around them and build a sense of community and help uh, the refugees that came after them long after my, you know, my father still works uh, helping refugees. And so that I think is something that was really instilled in me from a young age. Mm. And my brother, you know, he was an older brother and he just, he always pushed me and he taught me it was cool to be smart and hardworking, mm. not to be lazy, not to pretend you weren't intelligent or didn't know something. And that, I think, was really influential as well. That's right. Yeah, because you can, it, it sort of is all of what you surround yourself with. And it, it's it's perfect. This is leading us to all of the hard work that got you to where you are. We talked about your time in the military, but you've always had this dream. You've always had this idea of becoming an astronaut. And then you finally decided to pursue it, and you got it in 2017. Tell me about the call. Oh, boy. So <laughs> that the call is like one of the most memorable things, I'm sure for everyone, but I know for me, um, as you said, this was something I've wanted from as long as I can basically remember. And to actually find out it had come true, I, I was checking into a hotel after a red-eye flight, and I saw the call from a Houston number on my cell phone, and immediately I just kind of dropped my things outside the door, <laughs> rushed, uh, rushed to open the door and get in there, and I answered the phone, and... Chris Cassidy was the chief of the office at the time. So it was him and Brian Kelly is the the head of the flight operations directorate. And they start making small talk. And and all you want to do is say, can you just please tell me, (laughs) did I make it or not? And and finally, they they asked, you know, would you like to join the 22nd group of astronaut candidates? And I immediately said, of course, I didn't play it cool at all. Uh, And then I and then I called called my parents. But 
my hands were just shaking trying to call my parents because I was just in shock that I had actually received this call. Everything you had been dreaming up to it, it was it all was in this moment. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm actually going to be an astronaut. Right. And I think something that's also indicative is my parents' response. You know, th- my mother told me afterwards they were out having pizza and my dad couldn't even drive home because he was crying tears <laughs> of joy. And so she had to drive them home. So they, they knew this was something I wanted for a long time. Wow. You know, you think about, I want to jump ahead um, to, to your crew. Um, now, now you you became an astronaut. You trained to become an astronaut, and now you not only are going to fly to space as an astronaut, but as a commander of a crew, a multinational crew. For the yes. first time, you have uh, every seat is occupied by a different space agency, and so you you are going to be flying with these people who you've gotten to know um, pretty recently. Tell me about uh, who you're going to be flying with. Yeah, so I'll be flying with Andy Mogensen from Denmark and the European Space Agency as the pilot, and then Satoshi Furukawa from Japan and Konstantin Borisov from Russia. So as you said, it is the first time every seat is occupied by a different uh, nation and different space agency. And it's something we're so proud of just what that what that represents. You know, the we explore out in space as humans as and we do it for humanity and it we hope is something that represents going beyond the borders of our different nations and combines the strengths of our different cultures and our different viewpoints and the experiences we have awesome first time you know that every seat is occupied this is for a u.s mission this is for a ccp ccp mission you're going to be fulfilling this this scientific mission uh on station of of conducting science you have maintenance goals there's a lot that is you know the purpose of this flight of of actually going to the station for for a while but what are your personal objectives if you you know what while you're there what do you want to make sure you check off your bucket list of uh flying to space I think like probably everyone else who's ever wanted to fly in space, um, looking back at Earth is something that I've just heard so many people say it changes your perspective to see this fragile but beautiful Earth that holds everyone you know and love on it. And also just thinking about um, the fact that, you know, we... We go out into space and we explore, but we do it all for the benefit of the people back here on Earth is something that's that's really important to me. And just absorbing that in that moment of seeing in the cupola. Is that what you're going to do? You're just going to rush right out of Dragon and go right to the cupola? Probably. I mean, I, I remember... <laughs> I remember the first time I even saw the Grand Canyon. You hear a lot about it. I had seen pictures and I thought, is this really going to be um, that incredible and spectacular when I see it? And it was. I remember just seeing the Grand Canyon being like, wow, it is really grand. It's just this magnificent thing. And so I can't imagine how that'll feel looking back at Earth. I cannot wait to hear your experience when you actually get to live it. Jasmine McBelly, thank you so much for coming on Houston Memo Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Next is ESA astronaut Andreas Mogensen, who goes by Andy, and he's the pilot of the Dragon spacecraft and the second in command for the mission. He is responsible for spacecraft systems and performance. Once on board station, he'll serve as an Expedition 69 flight engineer and assume the role of space station commander for Expedition 70. Born in Copenhagen, Denmark, Mogensen's journey takes him quite literally around the world. He received an international baccalaureate from the Copenhagen International School in Denmark, then went to the United Kingdom for a master's in aeronautical engineering from Imperial College London during which he spent a semester abroad in Lisbon, Portugal, at the Instituto Superior Tecnico. Mogensen was then stationed in Africa, in the Republic of Congo and the Republic of Angola, working on offshore oil rigs. He then went back to Denmark to work on wind turbines. He then came to the States for a doctorate in aerospace engineering from the University of Texas, Austin. Mogensen then went across the pond again, this time to Germany, to work on ESA's swarm mission that studied the Earth's magnetic field. Before being selected by ESA as an astronaut candidate in 2009, he was stationed at the Surrey Space Center at the University of Surrey in the UK. Mogensen is a private pilot, a cavanaut, an aquanaut, and an experienced astronaut. In 2010, he was trained and certified as a private pilot by the Lufthansa Flight School. In 2012, he participated in an ESA Caves training course, living underground for a week exploring a cave system in Sardinia, a Mediterranean island. 
He also lived in an underwater habitat off the coast of Florida for two Nemo missions in 2013 and 2014, and he flew to the space station in 2015 for a 10-day mission aboard the International Space Station. Really a great guy to talk to. Here's Andy Mogensen. Andy Mogensen, thank you so much for coming on Houston. We have a podcast. That's my pleasure. Awesome. Hey, you are launching to the International Space Station this time for a long-duration expedition. That's got to feel pretty good. Are you excited? I'm very excited, yeah. I get, uh, hopefully, a chance to do all the things I didn't have time to do in 2015 on my short 10-day mission. That's right. Now, um, I love your biography, Andy, because... um, it's, you know, when I think about an astronaut, you think about an adventurer. You think about someone who has, you know, seen the world, done it all. Um, and your your background takes you quite literally around the world. Even as a child, you know, you, you, you were born in Denmark, but um, you were popping all over. Yeah, and I don't think you can overestimate the effect that it has had on me. I mean, in the same way that going to school is a fundamental part of forming your character. Moving from country to country as a child, I think has had just as big of an effect on on shaping who I am and my outlook uh, on life. I mean, it's also the reason why uh, when I had to choose uh, where to study uh, for college that to me studying in Denmark or studying in the UK or in Texas, there was really no difference. It, it didn't frighten me, the, the, you know, the thought of going abroad for a university education. It was almost a natural thing to do. Well, see, uh, as a kid, it's more passive, right? What, mm-hmm. what was taking you from place to place as a kid? What was the reason we were making all these moves? Well, it was my dad's job. Okay. Uh, yeah, he was moved, uh, you know, every two, three to four years, we would, uh, he would be stationed somewhere new. And that was what caused us to, 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 to move. Yeah, so, so I don't have quite the same history, right? I moved quite a bit, but almost exclusively around Pennsylvania. So it's not like around the world. But it was this idea that, you know, like every couple of years, especially in the formative years of, of being, you know, tr- like developing a personality and identity and wanting to be social, especially some of those moves later, like um, uh, when I moved in sixth grade or something like that, like that, those were formative in a way because all these friends that I made – yeah, I had to start over almost. Yeah. I wonder if you had something similar, but um, maybe a little different because you were doing it in different countries. Yeah, a lot of people who hear the story think that it must have been extremely difficult to, mm-hmm. you know, to to pick up and and start over again. But for me, it was always a moment of excitement. This idea of of going to a new place and not just learning about new cultures and new languages and, and new countries, but also in some ways starting fresh, right? You had, it was an opportunity to present yourself from your best side to new people, to get to know them and to let them get to know you. That's awesome. And it, it explains so well what you just, what you described in the beginning was, you know, it, as a kid, it was more passive. You were moving because of your dad's job, but then you sought it out. You wanted to try different things. And you know, I think maybe there was something, you know, there was all these different influences throughout your life that, that where you could have been, but astronaut, I believe, was something that is something that was a part of you as a kid. Where where did that come from when you were moving around this this idea of becoming an astronaut? Well, I think the the idea started, you know, with without me even being aware uh, or before I even knew there was such a thing as an astronaut, but this, you know, this, this idea of, of being an explorer and of, of be, of traveling the world and, and making, getting new, uh, experiences, you know, that, that came with my childhood. Uh, but, but specifically, you know, when I learned about NASA and, uh, the, especially the Apollo astronauts that went to the moon, that was when my dream started uh, you know, that that to me, the Apollo missions especially, they were the ultimate adventure, <laughs> you know, the ultimate uh, journey of exploration. And I, even to this day, I can't imagine anything more incredible than flying to the moon and landing on the moon and opening the hatch and stepping out into this unknown world and just just exploring the unknown 
uh, you know, what we do on board the space station is really, really exciting. But still, there's a, a another level to it, I think, when you land on a on an unknown world and you actually physically go out there and, and explore. And I'm so excited that we're going back in the next few years with the Artemis missions. Absolutely. I'm, I'm looking through your biography and your history, and I'm trying to think about a moment that to me best um, captures what you were just saying about this this idea of exploration. And the closest thing I think that I see, and maybe you have something different, is your experience for Isa Caves. I mean, if, as you're describing this, you talked about the moon as like this brand new environment. Uh, Isa Caves is something entirely different, right? You're, you're, you're in an underground like cave system and exploring it and figuring things out. I want. Am I close? Is that is that a pretty good analog? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Is, Isa Caves is a is an incredible experience, and I'm okay. really glad I had an opportunity to participate in it. It's in many ways, it's it's almost surreal. Uh, you know, there are places on the Earth where the ground isn't as solid as we think, but there are you know miles and miles of underground passageways below our feet. And uh, getting down there, uh, it's like entering a new world. Um, and it really is an adventure because, you know, one minute you're on your stomach crawling on all fours, trying to squeeze through this tiny little passageway, you know, where your shoulders barely fit through. And the next minute you're in a gigantic chamber where there's, you know, 50 feet to the ceiling and you've got this sheer rock wall in front of you that you're trying to climb to get to the next passageway. And it's almost like mountain climbing underneath the ground, <laughs> below the ground. And then other parts of the cave, you know, suddenly there's a river flowing through it uh, with with clear water. And, and you put on a, a wetsuit and you're canyoning all of a sudden underneath the ground. Uh, you're, you know, you're jumping into pools of water, swimming, climbing up out again, jumping into the next pool, uh, and then swimming uh, again through uh, another part of the river. It's just, uh, it's, it's a different world and it's so exciting uh, and, and just a huge experience to be part of that. And you got to be, that experience just sounds absolutely incredible. Um, scary, but incredible. Because um, you also got to live underwater uh, for, as an aquanaut and, and and experience that. And then you got to fly in space for the first time. Um, you, you know, you talked about this inspiration of, of being an astronaut and then actually getting to experience it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know they were long days. I know they were, lo- it was a short duration. It was very intense. But what was that like, your first flight experience? I mean, it's, it's hard to summarize uh, in a few words. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, the International Space Station is such a unique place, uh, and I'm so looking forward to getting back up there. You know, it it, it hit me as we were uh, approaching the space station in the Soyuz. Uh, you know, first you see the space station as this little dot of light. It almost looks like a star, and then it grows bigger and bigger, and suddenly you can see the, 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 the solar arrays and the different modules. But when you're, you know, when you're... Uh, 10, 20, 30 yards away from docking and you look out the window and you see these gigantic solar arrays stretching out in space next to you, that's when you, at least for me, that's when I, you know, for the first time realized how big the space station is and just what a marvel it is that we've constructed this incredible machine in space um, and then getting on board uh, and and having a chance to live there with uh, my colleagues, um, you know, it's almost like a, a high tech camping trip. You know, we're working, <laughs> we're doing science during the day, and then in the evenings we're eating together, and then you know we get into our sleeping bags and and sleep and and get to repeat the next day. It's it's uh, it's a lot of fun being up there. And maybe that's why you're looking forward to this mission so much. Um, you know, it's I guess the short duration mission. There are pros and cons. It's a, it's a sprint. You're working really hard, but you get to go home in like a reasonable amount of time. This time, it seems like you're really excited for the long duration mission. What are you looking forward to most? 
I mean, first of all, I'm I'm looking forward just to getting back to the space station uh-huh. uh, because it is uh, it it really is a unique place and it's it's fun to be up there uh, with with my colleagues. Uh, we have a good time together. The work that we do every day is is fascinating. You know, this is uh, in many ways cutting edge research that we do, um, interesting technologies that we're developing and testing. Um, so just just getting back to the space station is probably what I'm looking forward to most. But uh, also just sitting by the window, you know, sitting in cupola, uh, looking out uh, at the earth again. I was, uh, I, I had a chance on my first mission to uh, to do an experiment to study giant lightning strikes that shoot upwards towards space rather than down towards the earth. And I was really lucky to capture uh, what's called a blue jet uh, on film, uh, which is the first time that that's been done. And so I'm looking forward to getting back up there and, and trying it again to see if I was just incredibly lucky or <laughs> if that uh, is something that I can do uh, more regularly now that I have six months to try and do it. Very awesome. You mentioned your colleagues, right? You get to, that, that's this, I think this is important is the International Space Station, you get to experience it together and you get to experience it with a wonderful international crew, Crew 7. Mm-hmm. Um, if you try to capture you know, the, the, the question, who is Crew 7? How you guys all gelled together as, as a crew? Jasmine, Satoshi, uh, Constantine, how you guys all work. Um, how would you describe it? Well, first of all, uh, you know, as, as you said, we are an international crew. We, mm. we represent, really, uh, four very different countries, four different parts of the world. Um, and in that sense you could say we you know we represent humanity um on top of that we are for you know it sounds weird when maybe when you talk about astronauts that way but we are four completely normal human beings uh that have worked hard to get where we are uh and with a little bit of luck have become astronauts um and we're all very well aware of of how fortunate we are and um you know, I think you see that in in our personalities. We are all, I think, humble and uh, respectful of, of the responsibilities that we've been given um, and eager, you know, to get the mission done, uh, which also means that we find it very easy to work together with each other. We're all very relaxed, easygoing uh, and happy to assume whatever role is necessary under the given uh, conditions, which also means that 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 we switch or swap uh, roles uh, often um, and, and take on different roles depending on, on the situation. And it just makes it uh, very easy to work uh, together. And I think that's so important. Uh, you hear this a lot, this theme of what it takes, you know, to be a good astronaut. And it's all those qualities that you talked about. It's it's to be, you know, to have the knowledge, but to also be a good team member and a supportive team member to take mm-hmm. on those roles like you're like you're talking about. Crew 7, Expedition 69 and 70, you have these, these mission objectives. Um, focusing on ESA specifically, you guys typically label your mission, brand your mission, and yours is called Hugen. Yeah. Uh, what's the history behind that? Well, so Hugen uh, is the name of my ESA mission, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a name that derives from uh, old uh, Norse mythology. Hugen is the name of one of Odin's two ravens. Uh, Odin as according to to legend, had two ravens, Hugen and Munin. Uh, Hugen represents uh, knowledge and thought, while Munin represents memory and tradition. Uh, And according to legend, every morning, Odin would send his two ravens out into the world uh, to gather information on the state of the world. And uh, the two ravens, they would fly around the world and return in the evenings and share the knowledge that they had gathered during the day with Odin, and that's how Odin uh, got his information about the world. And so I thought, you know, when I heard that uh, that name, I thought it was a, a very appropriate name uh, for my mission because I think that's what astronauts do. We travel into space uh, to 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 gather knowledge, to expand our understanding of the world and the universe that we're part of uh, and to bring that information that knowledge back to the earth to share with the rest of humanity for the benefit of us all 
I love that. I love that. And to end on a on a more fun note, right? There's there's very critical parts of of this continued operations on the International Space Station. You got the science, you got the continued learning and discovery and things. But you get to, like you said, return to the International Space Station, and I'm sure you have a bucket list, right? Maybe capturing some more of those like super rare lightning storms or, or something like that. When, when you return to the station, you have a lot more time mm-hmm. uh, to do all the things that you only wish you had the time to do on your first mission. What are some of those personal, personal objectives for you? I'd like to do uh, a lot of photography from, from the cupola. Uh, when I look back at the uh, uh, photos that I took during my first mission, it, it's not a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so I, there's a lot of things I'd like to uh, to photograph, especially yeah. some of the uh, wild areas uh, that are left on the Earth. Um, and to combine those pictures with uh, photos taken of of wildlife in those areas. Um, so I'm actually um, hoping to collaborate with a, uh, a Danish charity called Wild Nature Foundation mm. um, and to highlight some of the few true wilderness spots left uh, on the earth because the earth is a very unique place uh, in the universe or even just within our own solar system. And it's uh, important that we take good care of our planet um, and so I hope to, you know, through some of the pictures that I take to be able to put a spotlight on some of the, the few wilderness areas that we have left and, and the wildlife that inhabits uh, those areas, because I think it's important that we protect uh, some of that true wilderness. That's awesome. What an awesome objective. And I'll definitely be following along. Andy Mogensee, thank you so much for coming on Houston Wave Podcast. This was oh, an absolute pleasure. pleasure. Thank you. Next, we have JAXA astronaut Satoshi Furukawa, a mission specialist for Crew-7. As a mission specialist, he'll work closely with the commander and the pilot to monitor the spacecraft during the dynamic launch and re-entry phases of flight. Once on board the station, he'll become a flight engineer for Expedition 69 and 70 on his second trip to space. Furukawa was born in Kanagawa, Japan, just south of Tokyo. Furukawa pursued medicine, receiving an MD from the University of Tokyo and a PhD in medical science from the same university a few years later. He worked at the University of Tokyo Hospital for about 10 years in the surgery department, engaged in clinical medicine and research of gastrointestinal surgery. Furukawa was selected as a Japanese astronaut candidate by the National Space Development Agency of Japan, or NASDA, which is now JAXA. Out of the Crew-7 cadre, Furukawa has the most time in space, logging 167 days in 2011 during Expeditions 28 and 29, during which he supported the final space shuttle mission STS-135 while aboard. He launched and returned aboard the Russian Soyuz TMA-02M spacecraft. Excited for his return to station, here's Satoshi Furukawa. Satoshi Furukawa, thank you so much for coming on Houston. We have a podcast. Thank you. <laughs> I, I'd be happy to be here. I, You are so close to your mission. You're going to be launching very soon to the International Space Station, once again, returning to the orbiting laboratory after, is it 12 years? Yes, 12 years. Wow. How does it feel? Well. Feels good? Yeah, yeah feels good. Yeah, excited. <laughs> um, you, you uh, let's see. You uh, grew up just south of Tokyo in a place called uh, Kanagawa. Right. Um, tell me about life there. What was life like in Kanagawa? Well, uh, I, I was born in Yokohama, Kanagawa, which is uh, the second biggest city in Japan, mm-hmm. uh, which has a population more than 3 million. And it's a big city, though, but the, there uh, were many... Uh, mountains uh wild mountains around the area i grew up so i played a lot there during my uh, elementary school days you liked exploring you liked uh, the outdoors yeah, yeah, yeah as a child yes very good um was there any inspiration earlier in your childhood or at some point where space became something that was of interest to you okay uh Two points. One is uh, TV show Hero Ultra 7. <laughs> the original program was broadcasted when I was three, three or four years old that I don't remember. But uh, the, the program 
was rebroadcasted when I was an elementary school student. Mm. So uh, uh, during the summer vacation every day. So I watched the TV program every day, and the hero、uh, protects the earth from aliens. So <laughs> actually, as a child, I, actually, I wanted to be an Ultra Seven. <laughs> But、uh, then I realized that it, it's not. Uh, it, it's not possible. So, so I got interested in space. <laughs> <laughs> But you wanted to be a defender of Earth. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, and the other is a, the Apollo 11,、uh, mm. the first human landing on the moon, which happened when I was、uh, five years old.、Mm. And on that specific day,、uh, our family, my family, was supposed to go to the ocean,、uh, go to a travel. To the ocean, but the, my parents suddenly said、uh, they would、uh, postpone it by one day because、uh, there would be a historical moment for humankind, so we, we needed to watch it live on TV. So, I, as a child, I watched it on TV, and something great was happening, I, I th- felt, and I got interested in space. Very cool.、Yeah. Now, You could have pursued a lot of different things. If you, if you really wanted to get interested in space, there's a lot of different ways that you can go. But you decided on medicine. Why was that?、Uh, that's a good question.、Mm-hmm. Actually,、uh, I wanted to be an, an engineer or an astronomer until I, my、uh, high school days. And when I was 17 years old,、uh, during the summer vacation, I had a chance to talk with my uncle, who is a medical doctor. He talked about、uh, attractives of his work. And、uh, he said,、uh, It is my best mom- moment or happiest moment when a patient、uh, gets better and discharges. And so I thought,、uh, It is the work as a medical doctor is worthwhile because、uh, I would be able to positively、uh, influence the, the other people's life. Lives. So I changed my future path and、uh, became a doctor after、uh, studying very hard. I bet.、Mm. But、uh, you got to experience that moment, right? You became a surgeon. Yeah. Patients came in、yep. and you got to make them feel better. And you got to that, that feeling that your uncle told you about.、Uh, yeah. I. It was my happiest moment too. Yeah. When, when the patients got better and I discharged. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> But of course,、um, you know, I think it's so great you got to experience those happy moments、mm-hmm. because it just seems like you got to keep experiencing those. Because next thing, next thing at some point,、mm-hmm. um, when you were at the University of Tokyo,、mm-hmm. uh, I believe it was when you were conducting research, you decided to apply to become a Japanese astronaut.、Yeah. And it was quite a competitive experience. Can you tell me about it? Yeah,、uh, it, was, uh, it was February in. 1998, when I was working in a night shift in a hospital.、Mm. Uh, I, when I was watching a TV, a TV newscaster mentioned that there would be a new Japanese astronaut candidate、uh, recruitment. Those selected would be uh, spent, uh, staying on board the space station for six months and conducting、uh, many scientific experiments. So I, the news galvanized me, and I, wanted, I want to do this. That's、uh, what I strongly felt. So、uh, I applied the audition, and、uh, fortunately, I was selected as one of the three uh, up, uh, astronaut candidates in 1999. There were, I think you, you mentioned 900 applicants? Yes,、yeah, about 900 applicants. Wow. That's, well, I mean, it must have been so rigorous. I mean, they, you just had to. It was like step after step of、yeah. just whittling it down because that's, that's tough if there's 900 people to get down to just three. Yeah. The composition was stiff. How'd you feel when you, got, when you actually got、uh, selected? Did you feel. Yeah, well, it was kind of literally, it was the happiest moment in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I, see, this is what I mean. It's just like when you say that you got to experience the happiest moment、mm-hmm. of. Of、um, working with a patient、mm. and successfully helping them、mm. to recover and then、mm. discharging them and、mm. having、mm. that happiest moment、yeah. followed by the happiest <laughs> moment. You have a, it's a bunch of happy <laughs> moments in your life、yeah. so far. This is incredible. And then you got to 
go to space. You got to experience yeah. mm -hmm. the thrill of launch. Mm -hmm. And not only that, it was not a short duration mission. You got to go for a, for a six month mission. What yeah. was that whole experience like? Well, uh, the life on board the space station was uh, super, mm -hmm. uh, especially the the view from the space station and the uh, la long lasting microgravity. The the former I felt that the Earth exists in a perfect ba perfect balance, and uh, I felt that the uh, we human beings are part of the big system as planet Earth. That was my instinct, and. I re realized that I sh uh, I should uh, preserve the our mother mother planet Earth, mm. and also uh, regarding the uh, long lasting microgravity, uh, using that special environment that we cannot obtain on on Earth, we can conduct many researches that uh, makes our uh, make our life on Earth better. I think um, one thing that I love about this particular mm. crew mm. is you talk about you know, making making life better for those mm -hmm. on Earth. Mm -hmm. And what I love about Crew 7 is each seat is occupied by a different space agency. Yeah. You have cultures around the world. Mm -hmm. So, and, and what's funny is that your crewmates say the same thing. Mm -hmm. They look, they looked at, they want to look down on the Earth. They want to mm -hmm. make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. And that is almost a unified goal of, mm -hmm. of Crew 7. And this is, it's a wonderful mission that represents mm -hmm. a lot of the world, mm -hmm. a group of humans from around the world trying to make the world a better place. It must feel good to be a part of this particular crew, yeah. Crew 7. Mm -hmm. You're flying with some great people, yeah, Jasmine yeah, and yeah. Andy and Constantine. Yeah. Tell me about mm -hmm. them. Well, uh, we are a great team. I mean, the ja Jasmine or Jaws, she's a great leader she's from u.s marine corps hello pilot she's super she, uh good leader a good leader and she has a good sense of humor too mm. and andy is a, an engineer uh he has kind of very get it done mentality like a military pilot <laughs> and uh kostya he's a also pilot and uh he uh, frequently laughs us, uh, <laughs> make us happy. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good that you guys just seem to gel very uh, well, uh -huh. and I love that. Right, mm. so all these di these different cultures mm. around the world. Mm. You guys, uh, even though you come up with from different backgrounds, mm. you're from all over the earth. You come together, mm. and you guys can make each other laugh. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> I love that. Um, Satoshi, any personal goals for this mission? You've gotten to go to the International Space Station once before, spend six months. Mm. You may have checked a lot of things off of your bucket list of things you wanted to accomplish, but is there anything else you want to make sure that during your six months, of course, you have to maintain the station, you have to conduct a lot of science, you're yeah. going to be a busy mm. person, mm. but is there something else maybe personal that you want to accomplish while you're up there? Well... Crew safety is the first priority, of course, and the vehicle, space vehicle and space station safety is the second, and mm -hmm. then accomplishing the mission also, next priority. And then uh, my goal is uh, everybody, not only the crew members, but the our friends and families and co-workers uh, on the ground uh, all over the world are smiling after the mission. That's my goal. You want to make the whole team proud because it is a quite a large team. And so if they're smiling, you're smiling. Yeah. <laughs> and you have a contagious smile, Satoshi. This is, it's, it's awesome. It's been great to talk you. with you and, and spend this time with you um, doing this and then also doing the interviews before. So thank you very much for spending this time thank with you. me. Last but not least, we have Roscosmos cosmonaut Konstantin Borisov, also a mission specialist of Crew 7, working with the commander and pilot to monitor the spacecraft during the dynamic launch and re-entry phases of flight. He also will become a long-duration crew member aboard the space station for Expeditions 69 and 70. Born in Smolensk, Russia, but considers Zhukovsky his home, he had an interesting path to becoming a cosmonaut. After finishing an in-depth study of the English language at a magnet school, Shikovsky No. 3, he then pursued a bachelor's degree in economics from the Russian Academy of Economics. He then went to the University of Warwick in the United Kingdom to pursue a master's in operations research and system analysis. 
Borsov is an avid free diver and swimmer. He spent time as a judge and an instructor at AIDA, or the International Association for the Development of Apnea, an international freediving organization. In 2018, Borisov swam across the Strait of Gibraltar, 15 kilometers, or just over 9 miles, from Spain to Morocco, in 3 hours and 45 minutes. Selected as a cosmonaut candidate in 2018, this will be Borisov's first spaceflight. A very interesting and inspiring person to talk to, here's Konstantin Borisov. Konstantin Borisov, thank you so much for coming on Houston We Have a Podcast. Yeah, thanks a lot for inviting us. This is good. Um... You have a very interesting path that got you to become a cosmonaut and join this crew, Crew 7, um, with, you know, almost the gap of when you thought, you know, the idea of cosmonaut was no longer reality and then it just came back. But I want to start by understanding just sort of your upbringing and how you grew up. Um, tell us about your childhood and um, sort of what led you to your initial inspiring moment of thinking oh my gosh i want to i want to become a cosmonaut yeah the initial moment was like it wasn't a moment it was the whole childhood if you imagine there is a one house in which all test pilots live and my father is one of those and my friend's fathers are also test pilots and it's a small city it's closed because it was soviet times um not many outsiders can travel into to to and come to us so that's what's happening you hear jet engines all the time you smell the fuel your father would took you to your job site and see how big aircraft like do all those beautiful flights and you don't picture any other future for yourself as like you grow up and you become one of one of your hmm. fathers you don't have other examples you don't see drivers or people who work in the office you see only test pilots so that's that's what was happening around me since i was two years old like and to the moment when i start remembering myself so i still think that everyone wants to become a cosmonaut or a pilot mm. i know that it's not true but that's how it felt just because that's what you were surrounded by. Yeah. And, and it was not um, Smolensk, right? You were born there, but you actually grew up in another town. And that's sort of your hometown. Yeah, exactly. I was born in Smolensk uh, because my, my mother is from Smolensk. And it was natural and comfortable for her to go and uh, uh, give birth there mm. in her hometown. Um, so, but, but I don't remember that. Of course, we moved to Zhukovsky right in... When I was one and a half years old. Okay, and that's where you grew up. Yeah. Um, now your your ins your inspiration to become you talked about it was really just ingrained in you this idea of mm -hmm. maybe a cosmonaut. But I know you took um, sort of a break from this dream in a way, and I think mm -hmm. it was your your dad who who maybe put you on a different path. But then but then it became a reality. Can mm -hmm. you talk about? Um, you know where you started to move away from the dream of a cosmonaut, mm -hmm. and then. And then all of a sudden it became a reality? Yeah. Uh, so he kind of, my, my dad kind of talked me of joining military because he said that uh, if you want to become a good test pilot or a test cosmonaut, you have to have experience of like over a thousand hours of jet flights by the age of 30. And he said that it did not going to happen because of like the current situation in the uh, pilot schools mm. that were the 90s, the time when everything was unstable in the Soviet, uh, after the Soviet times. Mm -hmm. So it was his advice. And also some of my older friends who joined uh, pilot schools, they said the same. So I chose not to do that. And I chose completely different career path. But uh, the thing which my father did is that he taught me to fly, actually. So mm -hmm. during summers, we went to small flight clubs and he would teach me how to fly small airplanes and then later helicopters and it was kind of a hobby but also i looked at into it and i thought that maybe i go and study for a private license in the us or maybe i go to france and certify myself as a helicopter pilot at for at eurocopter and i was saving money to to do that until in 2012 
it suddenly started without any prior notice that anyone with any background can apply to become a cosmonaut in our country. And that was like, it just like said, like it clicked. The dream came uh, back. The dream came back. <laughs> and it, I remember like, you know, like as if you can picture itself as the world starts, you know, in the movies, that's that's how they show the person like, whoa, and like it, it starts to expand and you can focus on what you're doing and you are only thinking about this. Wow. That's got to be awesome. So so you only had a couple of years, right? You only had a short amount of time where you were eligible because I think for in I, Russia, the cosmonaut cutoff age is, I think, 35, right? And you were yeah. 28 at the time. You could, you, you, you should uh, be younger than 35 okay. when you apply. But before that, they said 33. Then they like changed it to 35. Mm. And uh, they're not really open and they don't tell you when the next selection process starts. Mm. So I kind of thought that it might start within four or six years, like 2016, 2018. And uh, I started to get ready when when I was 30, 2014. And I've spent three years out of uh, doing a lot of different things to increase my chances. That's awesome. I know swimming and the water is something that's really important to you. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, we just came from the interview and the on-camera portion, and you had this wonderful description of, of free diving and just this mental state that that you have to go into. It's something that it seemed you were so you spoke so passionately about. Is free diving is is such an interesting, I guess, I, I I hate to call it a hobby because it seems like almost a, a lifestyle the way that you described it. Yeah, it is. I cannot. You know, there are when you grow up. There are some things which you cannot help doing. And that's how you explain yourself that this is what you want to do. Like, mm -hmm. you're not comfortable if you don't do that. And freediving is one of those things. It's an integral part of me because I know that uh, it gives me the way to relax. It gives me ways to work with my uh, stress. It makes me happy. It makes me comfortable. Mm -hmm. It's the anti kind of sport in which you achieve more if you relax and it's mm -hmm. also a good way of um, spending time with your friends like going to nice places and being comfortable at the sea joining the turtles the dolphins and like watching the underwater world being part of it it's that's amazing and you swam you swam across the Mediterranean too. Yep. I mean, you talked about you know this almost an anti-sport with free diving. You have to relax. This is to me, it's like the opposite. You're using every muscle for a very long period of time, and you trained for a while to get to be able to do yep. something like this. What was that experience like for you? It is. <laughs> that's that was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's it's interesting because uh, one of the motivations was to get ready for selection process because some of the tests are swimming tests. Mm. And obviously, if you're a good swimmer, you are better at those tests. And secondly, like, you know, I first learned how to free dive. So I was comfortable in the water with a mask on and fins on, but I wasn't a good swimmer. And I made myself um, train for something very hard so that I really learned to swim. Mm. And that's when I proved myself that I can swim. It was like kind of, can, can you swim? Yeah, if you can swim from Spain to Africa, then yeah, you're a good swimmer. That's how I <laughs> proved myself because I didn't uh, have a chance to learn uh, the swimming skills when I was small. Uh, that's interesting. Like, it's not exactly true to say that you're using every possible muscle to swim because hmm. if you don't have the technique uh, and if you are not able to stretch and glide and uh, relax in between strokes, you will never make it happen. Mm. So actually, if you want to be able to do long swings like that, you have to learn swimming with uh, the four different speeds. And that would be speed two, it would never be speed three or speed four. So it's kind of slow swimming and gliding. Otherwise, you get tired so quickly. So it's a lot of strokes, but you have to rest in between. Wow. What? Yeah, unbelievable accomplishment. <laughs> I mean, I can't even imagine. Like to me, if I can swim ten laps without stopping and taking a sip of water, yeah. that to me says, "Hey, you're a good swimmer." Yeah, yeah, but that's a... but, but I wasn't like that. Like even one year before doing the swim, uh, I was hardly being able to swim like one hour without stopping, and oh. it was like taking my breath. 
And then like maybe half a year before the swim, I was able to tell myself, all right, now you can swim as if you're jogging, like, you know, without getting tired, you can do it for an hour or two. That was a very interesting change in your understanding of your skill set. Unbelievable. Now you're going to be flying to space. This, yes. You talked about this this dream of becoming a cosmonaut. You were selected, and now you are actually going. What's some What's something you're really looking forward to? That's amazing. Like uh, that's the most common question which people ask. My friends ask me that. Uh, you know, all the excitement I think from one side has passed because you have been preparing for so long mm. that you stop believing that this is real. But I know this is real and there will be a moment soon and we sit in our ship and the rocket will start accelerating. I think I will honestly believe that everything uh, happened and we are flying when actually we open the hatch and we see our friends from increment 69. Uh, but if you ask me what I want to see and to feel, I want to see and feel everything. I want to share that mm -hmm. with people. I'm doing that already with my social media to tell the stories about how I feel. I think it's very valuable, especially for the first flight, to explain what it is, like all the details of that. Uh, then there are two things which I have always dreamt of since I was a kid. Like I want to feel weightlessness, mm. not for 20 seconds like we do in, in the aircraft, but like for a minute, an hour, a day, a week. And that's, that's amazing. Like you float all the time. I know there are some um, pros and cons and there are some changes to your to the way you feel, but I, I hope that I will enjoy it. And it's very similar to being in the water because it's also a 3D environment and you also don't feel any weight and you can push and glide. Hmm. Uh, I want to see the ground, the earth. I want to see the earth from, from up because it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Those are the two things which I have dreamt uh, of, but there was also th a third thing which I think is a part of your profession. And like in any profession, you want to to be good at your job. And uh, this profession which we are talking about is very unique because uh, you know we have been preparing me and Jazz for our first flights for six years, but we will know if we are good at our jobs only when we arrive there. <laughs> and when you go through all the months and all the adaptation and like you really prove yourself that you could do that, I think this is a very interesting uh, new thing which was brought by a profession. Like you want to professionally succeed in what you are doing. So that's the third thing which I want to do, like to implement all the things which we have been trained for, mm -hmm. to do it well without mistakes and like learn to do it efficiently. And you have quite a crew that you're going to be doing that with, right? Mm -hmm. And you can learn from Satoshi and from Andreas who have been to space before and kind of get their feedback. You said mm -hmm. you and Jasmine have been kind of working about the same time to get ready for both of your first space flights. But you're all going to be doing it together and get to share this moment. And what's nice about this crew, every seat is occupied by a different space agency. This exactly. is truly an international thing and you all are going to experience it together mm -hmm. are you what are you looking forward to most about doing this with your crew i'm very proud to be part of the most international space flight which spacex has been doing so far mm -hmm. so it's a kind of a record which we're all proud of and i want this to be an example of uh, how different countries working together in cooperation actually achieving more than any single country could do without this cooperation that's my dream and that's what what i really want to uh, this flight to be a symbol of wonderful and i'm looking forward to seeing your flight and seeing your crewmates flight and really experiencing that and hearing you know you talked about sharing your journey and really just following along on yours every step of the way to see what it's like Konstantin borosov thank you so much for coming on houston mobile podcast and sharing your your experience yeah thanks thanks a lot for that very good Hey, thanks for sticking around. Hope you learned something today. Very excited to see this crew launch to the International Space Station. Check out NASA's website for the latest schedule and how to find out how you can watch these four astronauts and cosmonauts live on NASA TV and on different streaming services. 
If you want to check out more podcasts we have at NASA, you can go to nasa.gov slash podcast. Our full collection is there, and you can listen to any of our episodes in no particular order. You can also check out the many other shows we have across the whole agency. If you want to talk to us specifically, we're on social media on the NASA Johnson Space Center pages of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Use the hashtag AskNASA on your favorite platform to submit an idea for the show or ask us a question. Just make sure to mention it's for us at Houston. We have a podcast. These interviews were recorded on June 12th, 2023. Thanks to Will Flato, Pat Ryan, Justin Herring, Dane Turner, Heidi Lavelle, Abby Graff, Belinda Polito, and Jaden Jennings for their work on the podcast as always. And to the astronaut schedulers for helping us to secure this chat. And of course, thanks to Crew 7, Jasmine McBelly, Andy Mogensen, Satoshi Furukawa, and Konstantin Borisov for their precious time to come and chat with us. Give us a rating and feedback on whatever platform you're listening to us on and tell us what you think of our podcast. We'll be back next week.